I can remember one of the first uh, stories that really stuck with me and, and sparked my imagination was written by Washington Irving almost 200 years ago. And, and the story involves this character named Rip Van Winkle. And uh, if you were exposed to that story as a kid, or maybe if you're a, a child of my generation or a parent of a child of my generation, remember the TV show Wishbone? I discovered this story through Wishbone episode one day. Rip Van Winkle goes into the forest, and he falls asleep, and he's asleep for 20 years in the forest. He wakes up, and he comes back into a world that is completely foreign. It's changed. It's different. And I just imagined, you know, like what would it be like to take a 20 year nap. If you're a parent of a young child, you long for a 20-year nap. Uh, but maybe you had a best sleep last night, you're longing for a 20-year nap. But I just thought, what would that be like? And, and recently, I, I've stumbled on a number of stories that are Rip Van Winkle-esque. During COVID, there was a story that came out that a man went on a uh, worldwide sailing trip. He left northern Canada uh, in the early part of 2020, and he was at sea for 267 days. He sailed by himself all the way around the world, and it went around all the five capes, and he got home, and he asked his wife, so did I miss anything? She's like, yeah, a couple things, a couple things. There was also a story I read about a man who lives up in the mountains of California. He's a mountain man, lives off the grid, no power, no internet, no TV. He comes into town a couple times a year to get supplies, and he drove into this town in the mountains of California, and all of a sudden he saw everyone avoiding each other, wearing masks, and he was just terrified. He walked in this you know, corner store and said, what did I miss? What happened? What's going on? He felt like he'd been asleep like... Rip Van Winkle. I also read the story of a man who, in early 2020, went on a 75-day silent retreat by himself, no outside noise, no talking. Coming off of 75 days of that is going to be jarring no matter what, but he stepped right back in in the middle of quarantine when we were all at home, and he just said, what is going on? You see, for each of these people, they experienced the shock of being out of it and there being change that happened, that when they came back into it, it jarred them. And in our lives, when we've been out of it for a while or we've missed something and, and we step back into an environment, sometimes the change jars us. But when we're in it day by day by day by day, that change isn't so jarring. It isn't so surprising. It happens so gradually, we often don't even know it. And this is, in science, the story of the boiling pot and the frog, that if you put a, a frog in a boiling pot of water, the frog won't stay in it. But if you put a frog in a pot and then you slowly start turning the heat up, you can trick the frog, and the frog won't know until it's too late that it can't handle the heat. Now, I think in our world, there are a lot of us that were like that frog. We're not aware of what's changing around us, and we're not aware of how we're contributing to that change until it, it becomes clear that there's a problem, and at times, it's too late. And so today, I want to begin with a question, and that's this. How do we become part of the solution rather than be contributors to the problem? Throughout our world, there are things that are broken. And when somebody steps in from the outside who hasn't been part of it, they go, whoa, this is not okay, this is not good, this is not right. And for many of us, it's lost on us. And today we're going to talk about two of those places and how we can be part of the solution. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, we're in a series here at Cornerstone called The Core. 
And we're talking about the things that we value the most. We're talking about what is it that's most important to us. And like Jake described, over the last two years, a bunch of which during this season of transition and change, as a staff and a board, we've been praying through what are the things that matter most to us. And so in this series, we're sharing those values that are most significant to us. And we're going through two a week that by the end of this four-week series, we'll have shared with you the eight things that we value the most at Cornerstone. In week one, we talked about the fact that we value to surrendering to Jesus's agenda and submitting to scripture. We value these things all the time, but especially when they become difficult and challenging. Last week, we talked about fighting for simplicity and focusing on transformation and then equipping people to live out their faith in public. And that's part of why Pastor Clovis mentioned that class, that we want to equip you to be prepared to live your faith out everywhere you go. Well, today we're going to roll out values five and six. And if you're taking notes, there's a place for you to write these down. Value number five is that we value practicing unity in a divided world. And value six is that we value pursuing health together. And today what I want to do is take some time to walk through each of these individually and and talk about the way that they shape how we do church and how we live life with each other. So the first one is we value practicing unity in a divided world. If you have your Bible, would you do me a favor and open up to the book of Acts chapter 15? Acts chapter 15. If you're new to the Bible, Acts is in the second section of the Bible that we call the New Testament. It's after the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's before the letters that Paul writes to the Romans. And Acts is actually short for Acts of the Apostles. It's the story of the early church and the early believers who followed Jesus and began to build this community after he returned to heaven. And Acts 15 is the most instrumental and significant event in the 2000 history of the Church of Jesus Christ. This moment, in light of all the other things that have happened in the 2000 years since Jesus returned to heaven, this is the most significant. If you're not Jewish, this is the reason why you're here today. What happens here in Acts chapter 15. The church was trying to figure out what to do with all of the people who were not Jewish, who were not Jewish wanting to follow Jesus. And how do they make sense of that? Because up until then, all of the followers of Jesus had been Jews. And here in Acts 15, beginning in verse 11, is their discussion at the Jerusalem council. Speaking, Peter says, On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they are, and they being the Gentiles. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Paul and Barnabas describe all the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they stopped speaking, James, who's the half-brother of Jesus, he was also the leader of the church in Jerusalem, he responded, Brothers and sisters, listen to me. Simeon has reported how God first intervened to take from the Gentiles a people for his name. And the words of the prophets agree with this as it is written. This was prophesied long ago in the Old Testament. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild its ruins and set it up again. So the rest of humanity may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, declares the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. Therefore, James says, in my judgment... We should not cause difficulties for those among the Gentiles who turn to God. 
But instead, we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from eating anything that had been strangled, and from blood. See, as we read through the book of Acts, what we see is that a divided world is not a new phenomenon and it's not a new obstacle. We look at our world, we go, man, this world is so divided. There is so much division. There is so much acrimony and fighting and conflict. But that's not a new phenomenon. Even in the early church, there were deep, deep divisions and big obstacles and questions that stood in their way. And this one, how do we come together and be a multi-ethnic people who are following Jesus was something back in the first century they struggled with. And they resolved, it's right there in the words of Peter in Acts 15, 11, that you don't have to become Jewish to follow Jesus. You didn't have to adopt all of the, the laws and the practices and the principles of a Jewish way of life to become a follower of Jesus because, Peter says, all of us, no matter what nationality we are, we are all saved the same way. Through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ that we didn't earn, that we didn't deserve, that it was extended to us when out of love God sent his son to die on the cross for us. And so there in that pivotal moment, the early church decided, hey, we're not going to make it difficult for these Gentiles who are turning to God and we're not going to keep them out of the grace and the mercy of God because we're saved by grace alone. But they did decide to hold on to some principles that set them apart in an incredibly pagan, hedonistic, and godless world of Rome. They had plenty of gods, but they weren't the god of Scripture. And they said, hey, there's some things we're going to ask you to do. In keeping with the tradition of the Old Testament and the teaching of God, we're going to ask you to abstain from sexual immorality. That, that God created sex to be happening in the context of a marriage between a man and a woman. And they rejected all other sexual expression. They also asked the people to stay away from things that were part of their uh, worshiping of false gods, eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols, eating meat with blood still in it that were part of these pagan practices. They said, hey, out of respect for our Jewish brothers and sisters, let's hold on to these principles that will set us apart from the world that we're living in. And that was how they made sense of the division they were in. It wasn't easy. They had to call a giant church meeting. And if any of you have ever been to a giant church meeting before, they're not always like the nicest and neatest gatherings. People have intense and strong convictions. But they wrestled through it. They prayed through it. And they came to a conclusion. That's the reason why I'm here today. Because I'm not Jewish. I don't have to follow all the, the, the statutes of Judaism because Jesus didn't come for that. He came to seek and save the lost through his grace and mercy. And they made sense of that division. And it's a powerful testimony still today. Because today we're faced with new challenges and new divisions. Let me ask you a question. And when I get done with this, if this is you, would you raise your hand? How many of you have had a friendship negatively impacted or lost because of social media or cable news in the last 18 months? Keep your hand up. Look around. The majority of you. So many of us have seen the divisions that are present in our world become so great that even people who share a bloodline in a family or a faith in Jesus divide over the things that are happening in our world. 
And part of what drew me to Cornerstone, like Josh and, sorry, Jake and Jen are walking through today. I just have to tell you a little side note here. Uh, Jake, if this goes through, you will be the fourth worship director in a row at Cornerstone with a J for your first name. So uh, it wasn't part of the, the package you saw promoted online, but we discovered that apparently we like guys with Jay to lead us in worship. Um, but part of what led me to Cornerstone five years ago was that Cornerstone was part of this tribe called the EFCA. It's the community or association of churches we're a part of. It's a denomination. stands for the Evangelical Free Church of America. And part of what I was told about the EFCA was that the the tribe that we're a part of strives to be a big tent. We strive to make sure that places where, where there are divisions in other tribes of churches that we find a way to hold unity around together because we want to make sure that the things that we're really fighting for are the most essential things, the things that matter the most. And so as the board and the staff was wrestling through this section of our values going, how do we express what we value when it comes to this? We had a lot of intense conversations because some of the words we thought about using are being defined in different ways today. Even though you open your dictionary and you find some word listed in the dictionary that means certain things, in our world, there are other people who are saying, no, no, they mean this. There are words that are, that are buzzwords that people define in really different ways. And so we chose the language here really intentionally, that we value practicing unity in a divided world. And I want to explain what we mean by that. We say in this value that the church of Jesus is an expression of harmony, not uniformity. So being a part of the church of Jesus does not mean that all of us think the same way about everything there is to think about. Even on our staff and on our board, there are places where, where we disagree on things and don't see things differently. We're not asking you to check your brain at the door and then just adopt a, a whole new set of beliefs on everything and ignore the places where we might not see things the same way. But from the very beginning, the church of Jesus has been a place where harmony is valued. If you've ever seen a great choir sing, you know that that great choir is not all singing the same. It's the same sheet music for sure, but some are basses and some are tenors and some are altos and some are sopranos. And even within those groups, there are first sopranos and second sopranos. And they're all singing the same song, but hopefully in a way that's harmonious with different parts and unique sounds. And hopefully it's a harmony and not a cacophony. Hopefully they're all on pitch. But when they come together with that unity... It's more beautiful than if they were all singing the exact same thing. So when we say we're practicing unity in a divided world, we're saying that unity doesn't equal uniformity. One of the phrases in this value comes from our tribe, the EFCA, where it says our mantra is in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, in all things love. Now, in our world today, this is really, really difficult because it seems like everything is a big deal. Everything is important. Everything matters. But what we find when we study the pages of Scripture and we seek to live them out together is not everything is an essential or gospel-level issue. 
There are places even in the scriptures where the early disciples didn't see everything the exact same way. And so even though they they came together in Acts 15 on this one thing for them to practice unity, there are other places where they began to recognize that there were differences on things that were important, but they were not essential. You'll see them wrestling through things like, what do you do with with this meat that comes from the public market? What do you do with drinking alcohol? What, how do you navigate these, these places where people have strong convictions? And what they said is that non-essentials don't mean non-important. It just means that certain things are more important than others. And in those essentials, we're going to practice unity. But in those non-essentials, we're going to leave space for liberty, that we can come to different convictions. But in all things, when we wrestle through these things, we're going to offer one another love. And then finally, in the value, we say we leave space for respectful differences on secondary issues in a spirit of generous love while courageously holding to convictions on the essentials of the Christian faith. And friends, this is where we take the most radical stance. Because this is not how our world lives. We, in our world today, don't show respect to people who disagree with us. We don't give them generosity and love. And often what happens is when people talk about unity, it comes at the stake of conviction. Hey, we're just going to agree and we're going to ignore the things that really are at the heart of what we believe. And so we're saying here that practicing unity does not mean that theology doesn't matter. To practice the kind of biblical unity we see in Acts 15, it isn't ignoring theology or saying theology doesn't matter. It's also not ignoring different viewpoints. So we're not saying that, hey, we don't ignore or we kind of look over the fact that over here we see this and over here you see that. We're not ignoring that to practice unity. But in practicing unity, we're saying we're going to respect and honor others in a culture that disrespects and dishonors. We're not going to treat each other like we're in the comments section on a CNN article. We're not going to treat each other like we're on Facebook discussing vaccines and masks. We're not going to treat each other like because we have different views, we have different worth and value. And friends, this is the place we have to lean in and we have to stand out. Because if we live and fight and disagree like the world does, what do we have to offer them? What do we have to offer them that is different or unique or compelling or life-giving? Our culture is not going to learn respect and honor from the media or social media. There is too much money to be made through disrespect and dishonor. No, as a church, we're going to chart a different path. And it's the path that Jesus prayed we would chart. In his final prayer for us, the church, this is what Jesus said. He prayed to his father, Father, I pray not only for these, his 12 disciples, but also for those who may believe in me through their word. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us. I have given them the glory that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you love me. 
what Jesus was saying is that the world will find it easier to believe that he is who he says he is and he came to do what he said he was going to do if we can practice unity in a divided world. There's actually an evangelistic promise attached to churches and brothers and sisters walking in unity. Jesus called us to practice unity with a purpose. Not so we can all feel warm and fuzzy as we sing Kumbaya, but so that people who are far from God and who, if they don't go a different direction, are going to spend eternity without God, will be able to find life in Him here and now and in eternity if we can walk together with unity and respect and honor in a culture that does none of that. And that's what we value. We value practicing unity in a divided world. It wasn't easy in Acts 15. It's not easy today. And I will just tell you, if God gives us longer life, it's only going to get harder. But it's never going to get less important. That's the first value. The second value is we value pursuing health together. If you have your Bible still near you or open, turn it on and scroll a couple pages further back in your Bible to the book of 1 Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians is two books after the book of Acts. You skip over Romans, you end in 1 Corinthians. Now, I will tell you that whenever anybody tells me they want to be like the church in the Bible, I say, which one? Because they didn't have social media or TMZ back then, but the early church did have some drama. And 1 Corinthians is one of those examples. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul talks about how he came to speak to and minister to and work with the church in Corinth. Here's what he says. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. Now, I am not Paul, and I never will be. But as I read his words through 1 Corinthians 2, I feel like he is describing where I was when I came five years ago to become the lead pastor at Cornerstone. I took a screenshot from that first sermon. If Dave Richards is in the room, I'm wearing Dave's shirt because I forgot a shirt to preach on that day and Dave bailed me out. Thanks, buddy. That's worked out pretty well. Um, if you're ever done with a shirt, I'll take it from you. Uh, but when I came that day, and I've shared this with some of you before, I was in a season of weakness and trembling and fear. Most of the first month I moved to Prescott, I suffered from panic and anxiety attacks. I was moving my family somewhere new and starting the largest and most significant job I'd ever had, and I couldn't sleep at night. I would have an uncontrolled heart rate, knee shaking, palms sweating, wondering what was going on with me. I didn't know the terms anxiety attacks or panic attacks. I just said something really crazy is happening in my body and I can't control it. And so I didn't feel strong or confident or wise. I felt totally weak and dependent on God to do something in me and through me that I couldn't do for myself. 
And what I found over that first season as I worshipped with you at Yavapai College was that God was doing something in me that he'd done for many of you. See, I had been involved in a really unhealthy church context before I came to Prescott. One of those where you don't realize how unhealthy you are until you get out of it and get somewhere healthy, and then you realize, oh my gosh, that was really bad. And it takes years to work out of it. And thankfully, a loving church, a loving staff, a loving board, and an incredible therapist have led to a lot of healing in my life. But what I've found over the years is what happened for me there has happened for so many of you. For many of you, Cornerstone has been a healing place. That you came to this place, Yavapai College, a service online, out of a tremendous season of hurt. Maybe that was in your family or in your marriage. Maybe that was in the context of another church. And when you sat down in some seats here, what you found is that this was a place where you could heal. That this place was a place where it was okay to not be okay. That this place was a place where you could be honest about your brokenness. That you didn't have to have it all together. That if the guy up front with the microphone was having panic attacks, then you probably could be a little bit of a mess too. And this is why I've been so compelled for so many years by the invitation that Jesus offered his disciples in Matthew 11. He says, come to me. All of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, for I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so because of that history and that story, as a church, we've articulated that we value pursuing health together. What that means is that none of us are completely healthy. And if today you think you are, after the service, outside there's a little thing called an intervention, you're going to find your best friends and family there and we're going to talk to you. None of us are going to be perfectly healthy this side of heaven. But what we're going to do together is that we're going to pursue being healthy. It's the journey we're going to be on until we take our last breath. And it's a journey that we're going to need each other for because in the same way that we didn't get unhealthy on our own, we're not going to get healthy on our own. And so here's how we describe this value. Life has wounded all of us. None of us get through life unscathed. We take hits and hurts and disappointments and betrayal. Life has wounded all of us. And while past relationships may have hurt us, God uses relationships to heal us too. This is the weird math of how God works. That same thing that brought that deep hurt is the same thing that God's going to use as an instrument of healing. You're going to be terrified to jump back into relationships when they look like the place where you got hurt, but God's going to bring things full circle. We say in this value that we seek to become a healthy church together by welcoming the hurting, showing the struggle, and trusting Jesus' healing power. So if you're hurting today, you're in the right place. I mean, it looked like it, but there's a lot of people around you who are hurting too. And we value showing the struggle. We value being honest about the places where we're wrestling and struggling through it. Because, friends, at the end of the day, you're only as sick as your secrets. Prescott's a huge recovery community, and this is one of the things I've learned from our friends in this church who are in recovery you're only as sick as your secrets. 
because what cannot be named cannot be healed. Until you get honest about that place where you're broken and you're hurting and something has you in bondage, you will never be freed from it. And so we welcome the hurting to come to a place and say, you know what, I've got issues. We, we show the struggle along the way because we're always going to be experiencing progression. None of us this side of heaven are going to experience perfection. And we're going to do that together. We're going to do that with one another. And this is what Paul told later on that dysfunctional church in Corinth. He said, we have this treasure in jars of clay. So this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body. So the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. And that's the journey that we're going to go on together. And friends, every pursuit begins with the first step. So that's why every Sunday we challenge you to take a first step. If you're a mess, hurting and broken today, you are not going to be all cleaned up and perfect in the next 12 minutes. But what you could do today before your head hits the pillow is you could take a first step towards pursuing help with some other people. And that step, with another step tomorrow and another one on Tuesday, with the power and grace of God working in your life, could transform you. And that's what we're passionate about. And so as we close today, we want to give you some, some ideas about what those steps might be. Here's the first one. I want to encourage you to memorize Romans 12:18 and apply it to the places where you're experiencing divisions relationally. Those of you who raised your hands and those of you who don't, who are, are experiencing those divisions in real life, I think one of the most relevant scriptures to memorize and meditate on is Romans 12:18. Now, before I tell it to you, I just want you to know that I've memorized this scripture and it has ruined my life. It's not made things easier. It's made things harder. Want to know what it is? If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So often I think I'm good writing somebody off or giving up. And God goes, well, is it possible to live at peace? And I'm like, ah. Or I go, man, I have done all these things, Jesus, and there's still no peace. And he goes, well, have you done everything that depends on you? And I'm like, <laughs> I didn't say these values were easy. But memorizing this verse has kept me coming back and saying, hey, have I really done all I can to practice unity? Number two, this week, I want to invite you to journal or have conversations with a friend around these discussion prompts. Where have you been healed by Jesus Christ? And where do you need to pursue health with others? Part of what gives me hope for the future health I'm pursuing is the places where Jesus has already healed me. I can tell you the story of anxiety attacks and panic attacks, not because I've stopped having them, but because God has delivered me through them and they no longer have to be defeating for me. 
I've got other things that I haven't told you about yet. Those are things that are still in my counselor's office that God's working to heal me through. But it's those places in the past where he's healed me that gives me the encouragement and confidence to keep pursuing help because the God who works with that can keep me going through this. And then number three, I want to invite you today to identify your next health, next step in pursuing help together. Remember, every pursuit starts with the first step. You don't have to solve it all the day, but when Jesus shows you a next step, you take that step as soon as you possibly can. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the, the work that's gone into these words. We thank you for the promise of your word and the legacy of moments like Acts 15. It is really hard to live in this world today, Jesus, as a person who's committed to follow you. It's way easier to be dysfunctional and unhealthy than it is to be healed and healthy in you. It's way easy to write people off and practice dishonor and disrespect and disunity than it is to say, Jesus, have I done all that is possible as far as it depends on me to live in peace? And so, Jesus, we pray that as we daily seek you, as we daily walk with you, as you daily are, are in conversation with us, we pray that you would show us our next steps. We're never going to perfectly practice these values, Jesus. But we pray that they would be instruments that you use to remind us what matters most and what you can do with a life that is surrendered to you. Today, Jesus, if somebody is in a really bad place, somebody who's watching or here in this room and can hear my voice, if they're in a really difficult and painful place, I pray they would know that you're with them and that it can be well even in the storm because they're not alone. And you're the God that never abandons us and you're the God that heals. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.